Well, God bless you. Shake hands. You're dismissed. Have a good night, everybody. Man, I love that song. I think, uh, was it Kindred Spirit or Call to Praise? One of the two iterations that I think he used to sing that. Man, I I love the line, uh, angels standing at attention. Oof, man. As the redeemed begin to sing. Man, what a... What a line. That is really good. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop talking because my emotions are getting the best of me. So we're going to shift gears. Uh, but uh, what a blessing. Appreciate that. It's always great to hear young men sing. That's always a blessing for sure. And appreciate uh, that wonderful day. Uh, that's exciting to think about. Oh, man. That is awesome. Okay. Um, if you could open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. But before we get there, Uh, Tonight we had our uh, SMITE meeting uh, for this coming campaign. Now, if you don't know what SMITE is, the best way I can describe SMITE is a traveling vacation Bible school that doubles as a missions trip. And uh, it's even much more than that little snapshot that I just gave you. And um, when I, uh, uh, I guess part of the responsibilities that I have here at the church is uh, SMITE, at least in the short term, about every five years, we'll bring it back to Cleveland Baptist. So for the 65th anniversary, uh, we'll have uh, SMITE here, which is exciting when we start to think about uh, the program and really a 50-plus year ministry that it has been. And when I promote SMITE to other churches, there's, uh, there's always a bridge that I have to cross through. Part of it is explaining what it is. You know, people, of course, wonder, you know, why such a violent name? You know, that's usually question one. Uh, but if you're wondering what that means, it means Summer Missionary Intern Training and Evangelism. And what that means is it's a training program for people to join ministry, for people to join bus ministry specifically, Sunday school outreach ministry, things like that. And part of the, the goal of SMITE is when we go to another church, uh, sometimes we might go to a church maybe that is operating fairly well, and other days maybe a church plant that needs a little bit of a shot in the arm, that sort of thing. But whatever it is, whenever I go to a church, uh, a lot of it is just explaining what it is and, and trying to get those people excited about what SMITE could be. Because really, the SMITE campaign has been uh, revolutionary and transformative for many ministries across the country. Uh, we have a little uh, snapshot page uh, in our workbook uh, for this campaign that talks to people about all the places we've been. We've been as far as Canada. Uh, in the last uh, eight years, we've been as far as Nebraska. I mean, we've been all over. I mean, it really is uh, an amazing thing. And uh, what it has done over the years is produce a slew of Christian workers, uh, not just at Cleveland Baptist, but those uh, workers went on to other ministries, or if the Lord moved them for some reason, uh, they were then servants at another ministry. And this year, uh, usually when I am promoting it to another church, I try to show the opportunities that that church has as far as uh, an ability to be able to serve in it. So that could be, like you've heard the last couple weeks, Brother Tom, has been talking about we need some coolers. I don't, I don't know exactly how many we have in the fellowship hall. We need about 16 coolers or, or even baked goods. Those baked goods are all for me. No, just kidding. Uh, those uh, baked goods are for our workers. Uh, just after a long day of door knocking and ministering and basically giving of your spiritual energy as well as your physical energy, it's just like a little light reward at the end of the day. That, that's all that that is. And then on the Saturday, we always ask for people to come and help us do follow-up on that following Saturday. Um, and then I usually, when I shift into my, uh, I guess, promotion of Smite, because usually what happens is I'm looking out at a group of people that just are, are trying to piece it together little by little and are, I guess, are trying to, to imagine and get excited about what I'm talking about. And I usually bring up a testimony. 
And I usually bring up actually about six or seven testimonies. Not my testimonies necessarily, but testimonies of other people uh, through the Smite campaign. And I thought uh, the week before Smite, it would be wonderful, and I got the idea from Pastor Pete, if we heard one of those testimonies from somebody who's been on Smite here for the last few years, and I've asked uh, uh, Gabe Prizel if he wouldn't mind sharing a Smite testimony, and it could be right now you're thinking, you know, I don't know that I have the time to commit to Smite, well, maybe come part-time, or I don't know if uh, I don't want to be a full-time worker, well, maybe... Maybe today's the day. And, and I just thought maybe it'd be wonderful to hear one of those testimonies. So take it away. So as Brother Sam said, I've, I've gone to Smite a few times. This is, I think, going to be my fifth time going to Smite. And last year I got the chance to be a group leader. And this was way different than anything I've ever done before. Mostly because Mr. Bork was ripping my head off every single day. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Smite is super vital to any Christian walk because we're basically following our God-given command to go reach a lost world. And uh, last year, I was placed in a city called Nelsonville, Ohio. And it is a total, just middle-of-nowhere town, surrounded by hills, just in the middle of nowhere, right outside of Athens, Ohio. And this town, it was small. I mean, maybe three, 4,000 people. And to this day, I still have every street memorized of, like, these random little nooks and crannies of this random city in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. But every single time we drove down that street, people saw that bus, and they saw Cleveland Baptist Church. They saw our shirts. They said, I believe it was the Plains Baptist, I forget what the church was called. But they saw that, and we always said, we're from this church, we're from this church. Every single time we go to a place, we're making an impact. And this year, we have a chance to make an impact in Cleveland, Ohio, the place where we all dwell and we live. So here's the thing. We have this motto right here. It says, preaching Christ, reaching the world. How in the world are we going to reach the world? It's through things like Smite. Smite is one of the greatest activities that anything like our church that puts, anything that our church puts out. It's such a great opportunity of just allowing us to go out and reach our lost world. We see that Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is your chance. There's nothing better. I'll just say there's nothing better than seeing a kid come the first day to your Bible group, just sit there and really start to see and hear about the gospel for the first time. First time, he's never heard it. He sits there and he hears and he's, hmm, okay, I've never heard this before. And then as the week progresses, you see a progression in his life, seeing that child just saying, oh, wow, that makes sense. Oh, okay. And then eventually by the end of the week, they get saved. There is nothing better in the world than that. See, the thing is, there's many people, you know, you don't want to take off work. I get that. And there's a lot of people here that would love to do Smite, but they can't physically do it. And that's why Brother Sam even gave some opportunities where everyone can help. And it takes the whole church getting behind Smite in order for it to grow and for our church to grow. We pray for a revival, and this is really where revival starts. It's through bringing in people from the community and all um, bringing in people from the community and just bringing a great work to here in Cleveland. And that's why it's a great thing that we can bring uh, Smite to Cleveland. And we've seen great works done over the past few years, and I've seen great works. I've seen souls saved, and I've even seen teens in the youth group here. Here, that could care less about serving God. They go to Smite, and for that week, at least at least that week, they realize the need of serving Christ. So that's why it is such a great opportunity for anyone. So if you're sitting on the edge tonight, take it from someone who has been there. Take it from someone who has gone to Smite for four years at this point. Take it to someone who's traveled and been uncomfortable and sweat. And there's so many people here that have just dealt with the tiredness and the pain and the agony of walking down the street, knocking on the door, getting the little white bit on your knuckles just from the white paint on the doors. It's worth it. It is so worth it. So if you're on the fence today about going to Smite, I highly suggest just go to Smite. It is such an amazing thing. 
and you will build your treasures in heaven. And that's the thing. That's all it's worth. I mean, that's all that matters is just building your treasure in heaven. Because there's simply nothing better than serving Christ. Even if we're tired, even if we're doing, um, even if we're missing work, it is worth it. It is worth it because we can see growth and we can bring in a lot of people into our church. And that's all really what the Lord commands is to go out and reach the lost world. Thank you. Amen. All right. Thank you, Gabe. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I don't know, uh, we have this uh, desire to have a few more clubs this year. You know, we're not trying to have 30 clubs. I, I think uh, when Brother Woven was youth pastor here, I, I think he, he did 35 Bible clubs. So I don't have a desire to do that necessarily. I think it was just two people at each club or something like that. Uh, but uh, we would love to have 16. That would be really wonderful. I have a bunch of group leaders that I have in queue that I, I think if we just get a few more teens involved, I think that would be able to furnish some of those clubs. And, uh, you know, on faith, I bought a couple more shirts this year, so I can't promise you to get your shirt size, uh, but we would be able to clothe you somehow for the Smite campaign. I think that would be uh, something wonderful. And, and again, I, I think I want to echo the words, you are building for the life to come. And so these are rewards you would cast at the Lord's feet. And, uh, man, you will find very few things as rewarding uh, as a week at Smite and uh, things that would train you for serving in this ministry from here on out. So if you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it after that. And I would just thought we'd talk about that just for a little. But Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are. Ephesians chapter 2. And a uh, very familiar chapter. I'd like to go to uh, verse 1 as we uh, will talk through this. Uh, very briefly, and make some observations and open a word of prayer, and we'll get to the message here. Ephesians chapter 2, excuse me, verse 1. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Not that you were incapable or unable to cast faith on the Lord. You weren't dead that way. Sometimes people teach that. You didn't, uh, you have free will. You're dead in as much as you are separated from God because of your sins, is what the Bible's saying. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, uh, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye, some, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down 
the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. If you uh, have a pen handy or a highlighter of some sort, there's a phrase found in verse 14. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition. A middle wall. So whatever this wall was, it was a type of separation. And tonight, I'd like for us to consider this wall. I'd like for us to consider what was God's actions towards this wall, and is this wall being produced or even made today? So with God's help, I'd like for us to preach through this message, the middle wall of partition. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your mind today. We ask for your ability today. Lord, we ask we'd be good with time. Uh, Lord, uh, it's... uh, uh, Lord, uh, uh, the dog days of summer, so to speak. And Lord, we are constantly thinking about our schedules and all the things that we take part in day to day, week to week. And Lord, sometimes we just need to be, uh, Lord, a little energized with the word. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would bring about, Lord, an excitement, Lord, uh, to the word of God, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds. And Lord, with the Holy Spirit, Lord, preach this message today. Lord, as we say frequently, would you hide us behind the cross, Lord, and would you... Uh, Lord, not just help uh, me as I preach, Lord, but would you fill the hearer today? And Lord, that we would all with one accord let the word of God, Lord, pass, Lord, uh, truth and judgment in our own life, Lord, and help us to align our will with thine in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like for us to uh, take a small test here. I'm going to start a quote. I'm going to ask you to read or state the rest of the quote. And uh, this will just be practice for the main test. And you'll see what the main test here is in just a second. All right, so I'm going to give you a very simple, uh, commonly known quote. I'm going to ask you to say the rest, all right? Are you with me? All right, I heard a couple, at least one person. That's good. All right. One small step for man, that's... Okay, it sounded like, uh, you know, know, an evening, you know, at a bingo night here. Let's, let's, Let's go back. One small step for man and one... Very good. All right, I'll spare you the Kennedy uh, impression. But ask not what your country can do for you, but ask. Very good, very good. General Secretary Gorbachev. If you seek peace, boy, see, you beat me there. You are good at this. How gifted, very gifted. If you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev. Oh, come on. Mr. Gorbachev. Uh Uh-huh. You know, a wall had to be torn down. A wall had to be torn down. This speech was President Reagan's speech to the people of West Berlin and contains one of the most memorable lines spoken during his presidency. Again, tear down this wall. The Berlin Wall referred to by the president was built by communists in August 1961 to keep Germans from escaping communist-dominated East Berlin into democratic West Berlin. It wasn't a wall to help protect the country from enemies without. It was rather a wall to separate its own people from the world. The 12-foot concrete wall extended for 100 miles, surrounding 
West Berlin and including an electrified fence, guards and posts. I heard by one count, uh, 138 deaths at the wall just trying to escape. Really an incredible thing. The wall stood as a stark symbol of decades-old Cold War between the United States and Soviet Russia, in which the two politically opposed superpowers continually wrestled for dominance, stopping short of just actual warfare. Living in East Berlin meant you had less access to personal autonomy, opportunity, and many lost their lives. You know, in short, you know, without debating the, the moral or political nature of walls. Like, I'm not here to tell you they're good or bad necessarily. You might have your own opinion on that, especially in the last few years. We've heard quite a bit about walls. So you can decide what you think about that. But depending on the circumstance, it was necessary that the wall be broken down for East Berlin to have access to freedom and opportunity. It was necessary. Now, imagine Jesus broke down a wall a wall. Uh, The Bible calls it a middle wall of partition. Now, uh, as we begin to discuss the difference between Jews and Gentiles, it's not like there wasn't opportunity for Gentiles in the Old Testament to be saved. Actually, there was quite a bit of opportunity. Uh, One of the great goals of Israel was that there'd be a light to the Gentiles. In fact, you remember when Simeon holds Jesus Christ, the the baby Jesus, uh, in in the book of Luke, uh, one of the things he declares upon his life is he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Like, this was, this was always the point. And, and in fact, think about how God deals with the Gentile world in the, in the Old Testament. The Bible says, even as Cain murders Abel, even as Cain murders, God speaks directly to him in Genesis 4. Did you know that God directly appeals to a Gentile king in Abimelech in Genesis 20? Did you know that God raised patriarchs all through the Old Testament to have influence in the world so that people would know there was a God in Israel? Did you know that Joseph one of God's physically elect people. Do you know that Joseph himself was chosen by God, and thus the world knew Joseph. And you, you see even uh, additional hints of this found in Exodus chapter 1. When the Bible says, and another Pharaoh rose up in Egypt which knew not Joseph. And so there's something about Joseph, there's something about worldwide influence that people are beginning to see there's a God in Israel. So I mean, like, this is the whole point. God's always goal was that the whole world would be saved. Albeit, he has a unique and special group. We continue. Did you know that the captivity in Egypt, as the Israelites are under bondage, under Pharaoh, part of the reason why they were there is that the world would know that God was with Egypt, that the Egyptians would know, that Pharaoh would know, the Bible says, and even the very Jews themselves would know. Did you know that when the uh, Israelites escaped from Egypt, when they, when they wandered away in the wilderness through the leadership of Joshua, they cross the Jordan and they meet Rahab. And she says something that is really stark and interesting. She said, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Earlier in the verse she said, man, our hearts melted because of you. So the, the sheer fame of what God was doing in, in Israel was a testimony to the rest of the world. Listen, you better serve the God that's in Israel. God's will and desire was always that Gentiles would be saved. Do you remember when David fought Goliath? When David fought Goliath? One of the things that he, that he says to Goliath, to the giants, and he says this, he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 1 Samuel 17, 46. Even 1 Kings 8, 60, uh, as a summation of what some of the righteous kings would say, it says that all the people, the earth may know that the, that the Lord is God and that there is 
none else. So to say that God only wanted some people saved it really is a, is a silly thought. It's silly. It's, it's, God loves the world, the Bible says. But having said that, certainly there were advantages to being an Israelite or to be a Jew. There were. Well, what were some of those advantages? Some of those advantages to being an Israelite was victory in battle. You notice David just rolled through the promised land, never losing. Uh, Joshua, under his leadership, and they could have kept fighting and conquered more, but the guy barely lost a match, did he? He just kept fighting. He kept winning. That was part of the, the conditional covenant that the Israelites had with God himself. Did you know that they would get the word of God first? That's certainly an advantage. Did you know that there are many physically themed blessings that the nation of Israel would get, one of them being the land promise? So the point is, it's, it's not that God doesn't want everyone saved. He wants everyone saved, excuse me. He wants everyone saved. But at the same time, there is a unique blessing to being an Israelite. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And look at this, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know, Jesus came to the Jews first. Well, we shouldn't fear that. Like, he loved the world. But he came to a specific group of people first, and then he went to the rest of the world. Well, how is this bearing out in Scripture? Romans 2.9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. Romans 2.10, But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. When Jesus is explaining his ministry in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5-7, through 7, he says, I am come to the lost sheep of who? Of Israel. To the Canaanite woman found in Matthew 15. He's coming first to, the, uh, to this very point. Look, the point that we're making is that God certainly wants everyone saved, but there was a group of people that he went to first. The Bible says he came into his what and his own received in mind. He came into his own and his own received in mind. You know, through much of history, it was the Lord trying to reach this people group that at present, the Bible says, blinded until this day, reject him. Very interesting. But that wall is broken. Where were you when you were saved? Maybe it was at a VBS? Maybe it was at your parents' house? Maybe it was in Sunday school? Where were you when you were saved? Were you, a, were you an adult when you were saved? Were you in college? Were you out in the world? Were you out doing something you shouldn't do? Were you just a child? Where were you when you were saved? Do you know what the Bible says of you before you were saved? As a Gentile, verse 11, the uncircumcised. Verse 12, without Christ. Verse 12, you were an alien. Not the Tucker Carlson sense, but an actual alien. You had no, uh, you were a total stranger. A total stranger. Without Christ. Verse 12, strangers from the covenants. Verse 12, having no hope. Where were you before you were saved? Do you remember where you were? Maybe you were a small child. Maybe you were just a, a teenager. Maybe an adult. Maybe you were just uh, meandering through life. And most of us can think back to a time before the Lord found us. Do you know what verse 12 says? We were without God in the world. 
Where were you before you were saved? Do you know what the Lord did for you? He broke down the middle wall of partition. He broke it down. All right, so what does that look like? This is what it practically looks like. Herod's temple, the very last temple that exists in Egypt, exists in Israel, excuse me, it had an area inside called the Court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles is where you and I, if we wanted to get right with the Lord, we'd have to have some sort of pilgrimage to the temple in Egypt. I keep saying Egypt, excuse me, Israel. We'd have to have some period of time where we went there, where we brought in a sacrifice. And I'm talking about, you read through the first five books of the Bible, those are peculiar sacrifices we'd have to bring, like a turtle dove offering, like we'd have to bring about badger skins and peculiar things like that, or a lamb without blemish, those types of things. We'd have to go through Israel, and you know what would have to happen? We'd have to go and buy those offerings, and then we'd have to bring it to the temple. And do you know where we hung out? The court of the Gentiles. Like we couldn't go further. Because we weren't Jewish. Because we weren't the chosen. You see how that goes? And then all of a sudden, like, there comes a point where that temple is gone. And like Jesus tells the woman at the well, there cometh a time where men shall not worship in this mount, he says, but uh, directly through God by the Spirit. He says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So imagine this unique time that Jesus is existing in. I mean, like, imagine a 30-year-old man begins a ministry. Think about the 30-year-olds that you know in this building right now. Imagine them starting a public ministry that would change the world. And for three years, they would have this. Well, in that time, people were regularly offering up sacrifices. People were regularly going out doing this. And if you and I wanted to get right with the Lord, we'd have to go get an offering. We'd have to go get some sort of sacrifice and then we'd bring it to the court of the Gentiles and not be able to go any further because we were not Jewish. We had no right to go. I mean, like, that's what the Bible's saying. And you know what we'd have to do? We couldn't go to, according to be right with the Lord, according to the Old Testament, we'd have to bring a sacrifice to a Levitical priest. And that Levitical priest then offers our sacrifice on behalf of us to God himself and, and walks into the holiest of all, you know what Jesus does? Like, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the sacrifices, like, mysteriously end. And then the temple is leveled by Titus Vespasian in 70 AD. And then there's, there's no more temple to go to. It's not even there. And you know what Jesus does on the resurrection? The, the veil of the temple is rent from the top to the bottom. The Bible says this of that. The Bible says that in Mark 15, 38, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. So there was a separation. You could have gotten saved. I'm not saying you couldn't have gotten saved. But to have that deeper relationship with the Lord, you would have had to at least assent to every law in the Old Testament as a Gentile and a stranger wandering into that covenant. That's what would have happened. But Jesus Christ... According to the Bible, he changed that. You know, the Bible says in verse 14, let's read that again. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, that's the Jew and the Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. All right, now imagine what breaking down really looks like. It looks like an aggressive action. 
It looks like he's taking a jackhammer to this wall. It looks like he's taking a sledgehammer to this wall. And he is tearing down this very wall. Why? Well, like the people of East Berlin, their life was on the other side of this wall. And for us, in this current time that we live in, with that wall being gone, you and I get to know God a little bit more deeply than we could have before. So Christ broke down the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles. The question becomes, how did Christ break down this wall? Well, the Bible says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, and that he might reconcile both God, verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Do you know what Jesus did for you? He brought you close to himself. He brought you close to himself as he's tearing down this very wall. Uh, maybe you're familiar with uh, Dr. Curtis Hudson. He has an interesting book called Some Things I've Learned. These are sentiments that he wrote in the closing years of his life. This is what he writes here on, on hugging. How many huggy people do we have? I'm not a very huggy person. I, I'm, I'm working at it. You know, I realize that you know, most human beings are this way, but I'm, I'm working, working towards those things. And uh, he started to talk about how he was working towards those things too. Look what he writes here in the closing moments of his life. He says, I have reference now to close friends and relatives. I have never been what you might call a hugger. But as I've gotten older, and especially during my serious illness, hugs have become very important to me. And I find myself hugging people whom I've never hugged before. Hugging a child reassures him of your love. The same is true of a relative, close friend, and especially one's own mate. I have at least two grandchildren who, when they see Papa, will hug me for a long time. And of course, I continue hugging as long as they do. I love it. I always let them be the first to let go. This is really interesting. If someone who loves you hugs you, and you let go first, it seems to say, that's enough. And it's almost like you didn't want him or her to hug you in the first place. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule. And especially true when you feel uncomfortable or have an uneasy feeling with someone who is hugging you. Look, I'm not a very touchy person. I'm working through those things. I really am. And I've gotten better over the years. But the Lord brought you close to himself. I mean, I really think about where we are in God's plan. There was a garden. We messed up there. There was a flood. We messed up there. There was a tower. We messed up there. There was a, a bunch of patriarchs. They messed up for a whole lot of years. There was a king named David. Then we get to Jesus in a manger. A bunch of disciples. They messed up and did some good things. And now here we are, 2,000 years later. And one day we'll all be gone. You and I can know God more deeply than we could have before. Because as Gentiles, we weren't this physically chosen group of people. We are this spiritually chosen group of people. And the Bible says you get to know God more deeply. Why? Because that wall was broken down. And here's Jesus just bringing you on to himself. How else did he break down this wall? The Bible says he made one people through salvation. Notice what the Bible says in verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one 
The Bible says this, and you don't have to turn here, in Micah 5.2. Look at this word peace. This word peace is so fascinating. The Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come he forth unto me that is a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up unto the time that he shall travail, hath brought forth the remnant from his brethren, shall return unto the children of Israel. All right, well, it's definitely talking about Jesus, but what about... And the Bible says this, and shall stand fast and feed in the strength of the Lord. And jump down to verse 5. And the Bible says, and this man shall be the peace. He is the peace. So this action that the Lord takes on this wall as bringing people to himself, this peace is now bringing you into salvation with him. You know what else he broke down? Keeping the law. Can you imagine, can you imagine trying to be right with the Lord, purchasing and trying to obtain the right sacrifices and going through a man for your prayers half the time and and trying to make sure you have some pilgrimage during all the, the high days of Israel and trying to do all those things, but it's not like that anymore, is it? No, when you pray, you go straight to Jesus. No, when you pray, you go straight to the king, don't you? Why? He broke down the wall. He broke down this wall. How else did he break down this wall? He rose up from the dead. The Bible says this in verse 16. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. My friend, Jesus Christ broke down the middle wall of partition. There was a wall that separated Gentiles from a deeper relationship with him. I guess the question is, Why do we attempt to build new walls then? I I guess the question then becomes, why do we build walls that can effectively separate people from getting to know God more deeply? You know, I I started to look up uh, building a a brick wall. You know, like, I, uh, I don't have a ton of skills this way, but I had a friend that helped restore our chimney. We had a very gnarled chimney that was starting to leak from time to time, And a friend of mine came by and he tried to uh, re-tuck point and basically rebuild this this chimney. It was a brick chimney. And it took quite a bit to do. We have a a house, needed a ladder. uh, Actually, it was a two-level thing and and it looked very dangerous to me. And I was very, I'm not a heights guy. I'm not a heights guy at all. And so watching him and hearing the brick uh, hit the other pieces of brick and the mortar glue on, I began to really appreciate the craftsmanship that it takes to make a brick wall or a brick infrastructure of some sort. Did you know if you're building a brick wall, you'll have to prepare the materials. Well, you probably do that. You have to mix the mortar. You have to create a foundation. You have to create a string line. You lay the mortar down, and you start brick by brick laying them down. Then you cut the bricks for the second row, and you top off the wall, and you continue the process all over again. Now, isn't it something that in our own lives we create these types of walls. And boy, are they detailed. These walls have uh, an amazing amount of detail and care that goes into these walls. And we start to wonder, what are these walls in our life? We start to build walls around potentially what Jesus is doing. We could build a wall around God's will for our life. As we we continue to build this wall, we, we... hear the message or in our own prayer time with the Lord in our devotional life, 
God has a certain message for you, and he's, he's calling you to the heart, and he's beginning to pull on the heartstrings. The Bible says with cords of love, trying to get you to some point, from point A to point B. And it is God's will for you, whatever that is. But, you know, we have like a very detailed brick wall. And we already kind of put it right there, and it's, it's just the aspect of our life we won't let God touch. You know, it's, it's just right there. It's like, well, you could teach in a Sunday school class, but man, the amount of time, oof, that is a lot of time. I get it, it's a lot of time. But everybody seems to have a good reason why not to. And you know what happens? We create a wall around what potentially God is doing in our life. I mean, look at the effort the Lord went through breaking down the middle wall of partition. Look at the effort he went through purchasing us with his own blood and, and, and tearing down this wall so that we get to know him more deeply. But we go back and we continue to build effectively more walls. You know, that wall that existed in the Old Testament, it suppressed Gentiles from getting to know God in a more, deepy, uh, more deeply way. And today, the walls that we build could suppress people from getting to know the Lord more deeply than they would have otherwise. You know, the wall around our own personal soul winning, the wall around our own personal soul winning, you know, it could affect your own adult Bible fellowship. All of a sudden we see, you know, like, well, this guy goes soul winning. That's, that's good enough for him. That's good enough for him. I won't go because of X, Y, Z reason. Or I can't go because of this. And I'm sure there are some good reasons out there. But you know what we effectively do? We build a very detailed, manicured wall so that the Lord cannot pass through this. And it affects other people. It might affect your Wednesday night Bible fellowship. It might affect your family. Because along the way, that wall affects other people. What about, what about the wall that affects your, your ministry that you're serving in? Maybe there's just some things in your ministry, just like, I just will not do this. You know, it's a detailed wall. It's a very high wall. It's the space that God is not allowed to pass. And we don't let anyone else pass it. Why? Because it is our wall. You know what the Lord wants you to do with that wall that we've all built? And, we, and I've built my own share of walls. He wants us to break it down. He wants us to tear down that wall. He wants us, when he speaks to us, when he touches our soul with whatever the message that he's preaching to us, on a personal level, whatever that is, he doesn't want a wall there. He's saying, I went through the effort of tearing down that wall already. I went through a great length of time trying to tear down that wall. Why would you build another one? You know what the Lord ironically says of himself? John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You know what the Lord wants you to do with the walls in your life, the walls that you've built? Remember that he's a door and walk through him again. You know, like I start to think, I like to think every missions conference that the walls are down, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? I like to think, I, don't, I think they are. I guess I'll find out one day when I meet the Lord. But every, every year I wonder, maybe this is the year the Lord will call us to the mission field. Or maybe this year we'll, we'll really get to increase in our giving. And I like to think those walls are down. I like to think so. But sometimes I look into my heart and I realize, well, it might not be a very high wall. But it is one that is a guardrail, occasionally that I find in my own soul, where I say, well, 
this is my space, God. You can't pass this space. Do you remember Jonah as, as he's waiting for the city of Nineveh to be burnt to a crisp? Remember what he does? He makes a booth. Oh, it's like a, a booth of offense. He's like, I got my own space. I, I, I don't want anyone to pass this. I don't want anyone to pass this. And, and boy, was Jonah offended. He had a bunch of great reasons why he built a wall. Those people were enemies to him. Those people had done great things to him, great tragedies. And, they, and actually, they end up doing that down the road, we find in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, you know what God didn't want from Jonah? He didn't want a wall there. You know, as we begin to think, as we, as we get closer one day more to when the Lord comes back, what if we went through with no walls at all? What if we went through with, with doors everywhere that the Lord Jesus Christ could walk through and speak to us in our own life? Or will it always be like, like an infrastructure he has to pass through? Will it always be some sort of area in our life where God is not allowed in this space in my life, but he can have this space and this, but this one right here, this one's mine. My friend, tear down that wall. I, I mean, tear down the wall. Two years later, November 1989, the East Germans issued a decree for the wall to be opened, allowing people to travel freely into West Berlin. In some cases, families that had been separated for decades were finally reunited. The wall was torn down altogether by the end of 1990 upon the collapse of communism in East Europe and in Soviet Russia itself, marking the end of the Cold War era. Families were reunited. Now listen, one day, this thing will all be over. I mean, it's all going to be over. And, and all our problems that we had here, the bills, the sky, skyrocketing gas, the electricity, the mortgage, all these things, uh, praying that our kids turn out, all, all those different th- features and issues and problems in life, one day it'll all be over. What if we had no space in our life where we didn't allow God's influence? What if, we, what if we had a totally open slate, no wall? I want, to, I want to challenge you tonight. What's the area in your life that you've built a box around, that you've built a wall? God wants you to tear it down. Let's pray.